Okay. Now, I wonder how you feel about work day to day. I wonder whether you've ever felt as if you want to start your own company or do some freelance work. Uh, I mean, I know I have. I think I've discovered from, I mean, people say that teachers have long holidays, but I've discovered from those long holidays, but I've also discovered from being in the pandemic and working on my own and stuck in my house that I am terrible at organizing my time and being productive. I am I'm not very good. So I don't think I will be uh, starting up or running my own company anytime soon. Maybe if I had a secretary or people who are keeping me to account, I might be a little bit more productive or I had an office. Uh, but um, I think working for myself is probably a bad idea. So I, I need that structure. But I think many people come to the desire to work for themselves because they are tired for working for other people. Maybe you think you can do it better. Or maybe you think that your boss is disorganized or uh, doesn't treat you fairly or all sorts, or the company is trying to get the most out of you. Schools generally will take as much as teachers can give and even ask for more and not really give much in return. So as much as you can give, as much as you're willing to give, they'll take and they'll even ask for more. So I wonder whether you, you feel that. Now, today's passage talks about servants being subjected to the being subject to their masters with all respect. I wonder whether you feel that you do that with your bosses or your lecturers, or you know, do you give them all respect? In other translations, it talks about. Uh, it actually uses the word slaves submit to your masters. Certainly some of us can sometimes feel as if they are slave to work or slave to their job. And I, but I hope, hope that you feel you could probably walk away from this job. I hope that you don't feel like that. Uh, but regardless of whether it's servants or slaves, this general attitude to our masters uh, is important. In the first chapter of 1 Peter, we see Peter establishing our identity as Christians and part of the church uh, and gives us broad strokes in terms of what that means. So it says, be holy for your father is holy or for God is holy. But what does that mean? I talked about that. What does that mean? Be holy. It's like my students saying, oh, I'm going to work harder. It's not a proper target. It's not a proper goal. Be holy. What does that mean? Let's read today's passage and, uh, and find out a little bit more about that. So we are in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse, I'm going to put it on the screen, chapter 2 verse 11 to 25. We're using the ESV version. Um, so, uh, yeah, chapter, chapter 2 verse 11 uh, to 25. It's, it's on the screen, I can't, so don't worry about that. Okay. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject to the Lord's, uh, sorry, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him 
to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not by using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow when suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you, when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For this, is, uh, for this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example, you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to you who justly, uh, judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die and live by, to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. that You've kept it preserved for us. Lord, let us humble ourselves. Let us uh, submit to your word. Change us and mold us to be uh, in your image and to glorify you. Lord, I pray that you speak through me as I uh, uh, unpack these words today. Lord, help us to uh, be, witness, be witnesses of this good news to those uh, not just in the church, but to our colleagues, to our friends, to those who are, we come into contact with during the week. In Jesus' name, amen. So, let me just come back to this uh, passage. So we see that this uh, suddenly bookmarks uh, the last section, um, and Peter starts off this passage calling us sojourners and exiles. But what are we exiles from? He just said that we are a royal priesthood, a nation and a people of God. Surely we have a family and a home now. And that is one of the great attractions, obviously. Shouldn't be the greatest attraction, but it should be a wonderful attraction to the Christian life. We have a family, no matter where we go on earth, we have a Christian family and we have a home now. And I said that it's an embarrassment to us if, for example, people are drawn away from cults because they use the cult tactic of warmth and family to draw people away from their kind of their churches, away from their families, etc. But do you see, it isn't here. Our home is not here, as I preached on in, in chapter one. Our home is in heaven. 
So as sojourn, uh, uh, sojourners, that's a very strange word to me. It sounds very different to sojourning. Sojourners, uh, we are here for a short time. We're passing through. We're travelers. We are, uh, we are exiled and we are making our way home. And that is the imagery we see in the Old Testament as the exiles, both uh, during the, the minor prophets time, but also exiled in Exodus from Egypt and then finding their way back to Israel, the promised land. It can be an incredibly uncomfortable feeling being on the outside, can't it? I certainly found that when I first arrived in Malaysia and the first weekend, yeah, the first couple of days I was sick. Why? I, I thought it was some of the food. Actually, it turns out because I didn't filter my water and the, the kind of the, the, the block of uh, condos that I was living in didn't have a filter for the water and I was very sick that first weekend. Um, but, you know, being on the outside, not having any friends here, not knowing anyone at all, not even having a church. It took me a couple of weeks to find a church. It's incredibly uncomfortable, isn't it? By drawing on the imagery of the Old Testament Jews, people, uh, Peter encourages these Christians who were mostly Gentiles from, you know, and from Turkey. We saw that in the first chapter, Turkey, and then kind of the, the letter would have gone beyond that to conduct themselves honorably among the Gentiles. So imaging these Christians as the Jews to conduct themselves honorably among the Gentiles, as in non-Christians in verse 12. Just... Here we see another time where we should be learning the lesson of the, Gent uh, sorry, the Jews from the Old Testament, that the people of God were given a, the very special blessing. The people of God loved, even though they failed him time and time again, God loved them and held out his hand to them like those people, God asks us to be, both Jew and Gentile, to be God's holy nation, to be a witness to God among his people. So we find our family in the church. We find our family among our Christian, uh, other Christians, but we are God's representatives to the rest of the world. And that our good deeds provoke evil, even evildoers to glorify God. In a sense, in our workplaces, in our communities, uh, we have to be distinctive. So this is the first challenge of this passage. Are we being distinctive? Is our behavior different to distinguish yourselves from non-Christians and give glory to God? I find that incredibly challenging. I find that really difficult because as a teacher, teachers generally have kind of are, you know, have this idea that they need to be respectable. Okay, at least in the front of the students or at least in kind of, I mean, especially in a kind of like small ish community among, you know, among the expats uh, around Johor, because uh, the number of times sometimes you occasionally hear maybe once every couple of years something, some teacher has got up to some mischief and then some parent has heard about it in Johor because it's such a small community. Only happens occasionally, but generally teachers are 
kind of are well behaved, really well behaved. You may not believe that because you've heard some of the naughty stories, but generally teachers are incredibly well behaved and yeah, respect, uh, respectable. And so living among them and then trying to be distinctive among them is incredibly difficult. Are you being distinctive in your workplace, among your colleagues, out in, you know, when you're shopping? I caught just a glimpse of this a little while ago, and I'm not trying to take credit for this, but uh, this was just a glimpse of it, and I really wish I could do more of this kind of thing. But I was, I was at the, the photocopy and doing a large print, print job. So I did a print job, and then I, uh, you know, the paper had run out, almost run out. It hadn't run out, it had almost run out. So I started filling up the, the photocopier. And a colleague came along and she waited for me to finish. And when I finished, she said, have you got a, a lot of work to do? Have you got a big print job to do? And I said, no, don't worry about it, I've just finished. And she seemed surprised and she said, that's unusual. It's unusual that somebody will fill up the, the paper after them. Not many people would do that. And I thought that was a nice bit of praise. And I thought that's, you know, that's the kind of thing I, you know, I don't know whether I can build into those habits and think about those things more, not for praise, not for looking for doing anything, but to do to be distinctive so that people can notice the small things, not to go out of our, my, my way or go out of our way to, to make those small things noticeable or to, you know, uh, to do anything extra, but because we are God's people, we should be different. We should, you know, do more. We should uh, work harder, and we should love people as God loved us. So, I think it's a shame that we don't. I don't do more of these things, and I've got to think about more of these things again, not for my own glory, or not to kind of uh, make myself seen as uh, above everyone else in in the office, but to witness for God. Let's have a look at the next challenge. So we are in uh, verse thirteen, and this one's a difficult one. Be subject. For the Lord's sake, to every human institution, that uh, doesn't mean, that means work, but also beyond that. Whether it be the, to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise, to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorant of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil. But as living as but living as servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So you have to realize that at this point, it's almost definite that the, the emperor Nero, if you've heard of Nero, the Roman emperor Nero, would have been in power persecuting and killing Christians. And Peter is saying that into this context. Honor the emperor. Who is killing Christians? Honor the governors. I wonder what great men of history would do. Now, we, we know that figures like, you know, I, I see so many kind of people wearing these T-shirts with Che Guevara on that. He's a freedom fighter, a communist freedom fighter. I don't know whether you know him 
or Nelson Mandela, who seemed to be this great man. When he was young, he was a terrorist. What would these great men of history do? As a British person, we, we think of Winston Churchill, who was the great kind of prime minister during the war, who led us during the war. I live in East Ladang, where the, uh, the, the road signs, I only found out this, but the road signs, the, these are heroes. Uh, these are Malay heroes. Uh, I don't know who Lekia was, or, um, but uh, you know, um, yeah, they're named after heroes. And most of these were great fighters. Society and probably all of history will judge Christians with favor if they would have judged Christians at this time during Nero's time uh, with favor if they had become freedom fighters. But we're not looking to be judged by history, are we? To fight freedom and to fight tyranny. Is that what Jesus did? Did he become a fighter? No, he came and taught us, taught people, taught the Jews. He taught in the temple. He was a teacher and he was a servant. He served others and he died a humble death. He did not fight his captors. Even though he, he said he knew and we know that he had the power to, he could call on legions of angels. He could have called upon his followers to fight for him, but he didn't. He went and died as a humble servant, as a lamb to the slaughter. And so this should be our model, to speak the truth and honor everyone. Yes, our commitment to God trumps that of our commitment to our workplace, or the king, or the emperor, or my queen, or you know, my prime minister, the president, whoever else, yes, our commitment uh, to God uh, trumps that. But in what way do our, we conduct ourselves? Submitting to the authorities where we should, even if it is unfair. Fear God and honor the emperor. I was once told this analogy. That help, uh, that's helped me. Everyone thinks that freedom is like being in a car. You can go and drive. If, if, you know, if you've learned to drive, and to be honest, I only learned to drive when I came to Malaysia. I, I lived in London, so I could take the tube anywhere or I could cycle anywhere. And to be, for me, that was freedom. But now that I'm in a car, which I needed to be in Johor, you can't get anywhere without a car. Um, yeah, I mean, yes, you've got taxis, but this was way before Grab as well. Uh, just imagine you had to call up your taxi driver, you know, and try and get you uh, at all times of the day and book them in advance, etc. But, I, you know, I learned to drive so that I can have freedom here in Johor. But everyone thinks that kind of freedom is like that. You get in a car and you just go and you drive and you can go drive anywhere. The analogy that I had, I was given that no, we're not like a car. We are like a train. If we want freedom as a train, we can just go off the tracks. But what happens when we go off the tracks? We get stuck in the mud. We get stuck in a field and we can't go anywhere and we start rusting. 
yes, we are free to take ourselves off the track and do that. But what happens when we get on the tracks? The tracks that you know, somebody has built for us, God in this case has built for us. We can go to lots of different places, can't we? And we can go fast. So freedom is like that. It's, uh, we can live, you know, the Bible's rules, the laws and guidelines are designed for us to live our lives to the full, to have, to go to amazing places, to fill our potential to God, to be productive, live joyful lives. That is like being the little train who could. Sorry, I'm just, it's, it's a, uh, yeah, baby's reference. The little train who could. Freedom doesn't necessarily mean that we can go and do sinful and evil and terrible things that the Christian, uh, non-Christian will celebrate as freedom. Drugs and sex and rock and roll. Well, rock and roll, I wouldn't say that that's a sinful thing. Okay, but that's what they consider freedom. But we know that's not productive. That's not going to help us. Look down at verse 17. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Do you notice how in this passage, Peter says, fear God and honor the emperor. Surely as an emperor of Rome, surely the emperor of Rome, Nero and all the other emperors is someone to be feared. How much rule and how much power they have hasn't been seen since on this earth but not compared to God. How can we compare that power, which is human earthly power, to God who has control over where you go when you die? That's all that they can do to us, is they can kill us. But God has control over more than just that, doesn't he? Sometimes even as Christians, we dwell on God's love and his mercy, his kindness, and our image of him as a father a little bit too much. And we forget that a fearsome God, uh, what a fearsome God he really is. It brings to mind the scene from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when the Pevensey children have just arrived in Narnia, and the beavers, first, sorry, and they're talking to the beavers, and they first learn about Aslan. And Lucy says, is, is he a man? Aslan a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know that who is the king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he, is he quite safe? I feel, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and, be, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If anyone who can appear before Aslan without knocking, their knees knocking, they're even braver than most or just uh, else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mr. Beaver Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Because he isn't safe, 
but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Our good, our God, he's not safe, but he is good. He's the king. He is the creator God. He's not safe, but he is good. Sometimes I, I think that we should kind of look at other religions and learn about how much they do fear God. Yes, we have a loving God. We have a promised place in heaven. But we should also fear God, who is the creator God. And as Christians, sometimes we forget that. We don't believe in a tame God. We don't believe in a safe God. We believe in a roaring lion. And we saw that when we, uh, we studied, a, we, uh, uh, we, we had a look uh, last year at the Minor Prophets. God is a roaring lion, one to whom every knee shall bow one day. Every knee, that is the president of the United States, the premier of China, the prime minister of England, the prime minister of Malaysia. Wealthy, powerful people like Elon Musk and Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos. Doesn't matter how much you think uh, you know about all of these conspiracy theories. Uh, The bankers, the uh, the kind of... um, What's it called? I can't, I can't remember what it's called. The, uh, the, the group of powerful people who are you know, uh, supposed to be behind everything. Uh, in a, and, uh, anyway, let's, let's move on. Your most difficult co-worker, their boss, and the people they work for. As a teacher, my head of department, my headmaster, and the most powerful people, the parents. They will all kneel before God. Most out of abject terror coming from, coming face to face with their creator God. Some because they are our beloved king. As Christians, we will come face to face to God and kneel because he is our beloved king. But most who do not know him will kneel out of abject terror of God. But do you see what uh, this fear and this freedom leads us to? They don't lead us to becoming freedom fighters or rabble arousers, uh, although God doesn't preclude being a voice for freedom or justice or being a powerful voice for freedom or justice. Verse 13, be subject to, uh, be subject to the, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Verse 18, servants be uh, subject to your masters. And as as said before, in other translations, uh, uh, if other translations are correct, slaves are encouraged to be subject to their masters. Now, if slaves are encouraged to be subject to their masters, how much more should we who are being paid uh, for being kind of uh, workers, should be subject to our bosses. Even if they are not good. Verse 18, not only to the good and gentle, 
but also to the unjust. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. People like to wear those uh, kind of bands or kind of the WWJD. What would Jesus do? Well, this is what Jesus would do. Even if your boss, even if your co-workers are being mean and unjust, and we know that we can face this if we stand for Jesus, that we will face this if we stand for Jesus. We do it because that's what Jesus did. Verse 21, for this for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. I want to remind you that this is Peter saying this, probably, probably having learned wisdom by this time, hopefully. Peter, who was the one who would jump in with both feet into any situation as we read through the Gospels, he was the man of action. He would uh, rather use uh, kind of actions rather than thought or word. He was the one who brought the, uh, the sword to the Garden of Gethsemane uh, and, uh, and cut off uh, the ear of the, uh, the servant of the, the high priest. He was the man of action. Verse 22. Jesus committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body and on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That is why he died. So that we are free from sin that we are no longer bound by it, that we have the opportunity now to live as if we have never sinned. For you were straying like sheep, but now uh, you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So that is my last challenge. This is the last challenge of this passage and a challenge that is so counterintuitive, so countercultural so counter to everything that this society tells us society tells us stand up for your rights know your worth don't let yourself be downtrodden god says submit to your masters even if you are treated unfairly by this you will follow jesus examples and be a witness to god's glory Yes, we should speak out for justice. Yes, we should be, you know, uh, be fighting injustice because that is the kind of God that we have. But we should be submitting to our masters if they ask us to do something, anything that is not against God's law. We should be submitting to them. Why? For God's, for the Lord's sake. So to summarize, we are asked to be distinctive, to live such good distinctive lives that even non-Christians will give glory to God. Secondly, we are to submit to our rulers and authorities, not because we fear them, but because we fear God. 
and because God put them in place over us. By doing so, we will silence foolish people. Our freedom is to serve God and not to do our own thing. And to bring us right home to where you work and where you live and your day-to-day life. Finally submit to God, uh, our bosses, our masters, even the unjust ones. Why? Because that's what Jesus would do. Let me pray. Father, we pray for wisdom in those difficult situations where we think that rules, where we think that what is being asked of us is unfair. Lord, help us to shine for you. Let us not hide our light. That light being you, your spirit indwelling in us. Lord, let us be salt in our workplaces so that we can be distinctive, so that people can wonder about you and the difference that you've made in our lives. Lord, give us the strength and boldness and wisdom to know what to say, to have an answer to people, uh, to people who will ask about what is different. For your greater glory, we ask this, Lord, because you are a jealous God for your glory. We ask your name to be known through us in our workplaces and where we live and where we work and where we shop and where we spend our social time for your greater glory in jesus name amen